0: In my my senior year, my last year of college, I've kind of noticed something um, for the first time. It's kind of like a word and an idea that I can't really get away from. I can't really escape it. It's It's something that's been a word that's consistent in my life forever, but I haven't really noticed it until now. And that's the word need. Because when you get to your last years of college, you know, college for all of us is like the turning point in your life. It's like... We are studying for what we're going to do for 30, 40, 50 years. You know, we may find the person we're going to marry. We may do all these different things. It's just this huge pinnacle point in our lives. And what happens is, for me, it exposed how much I thought I needed things. You know, I needed direction in my life. I needed a job. I needed to pass my classes to graduate, which I'm doing very well at. So, proud of myself. But um, there's a lot of things you need. And I've realized that um, I'm very needy. And my whole life I've been needy. And I think we all can relate with this because we're all needy people. We all have thinking of things right now in our head that we're telling God that we need in order to be satisfied, in order to be happy. The list goes on. And some things are things that, you know, would be great to have and not bad at all. And I remember in junior high, um, the needs in junior high were a little bit different than college. In junior high, I only needed two things, a girlfriend and a silver chain necklace. <laughs> if I had those two things, I was good to go. And I got them. I'm not going to lie. Chain necklace, board shorts at the beach with my girlfriend on my right hand. Nothing's better than that. Nothing is better than that. So I don't have it anymore, but I mean, I would sport it right now if I had it, but I don't. Um, high school, needs changed a little bit. Um, in high school, I still needed a girlfriend. I always had that girlfriend thing I needed. And then um, needed no curfew. That was a little battle. And I got it, eventually. And a car. Three things good to go. Don't need anything else. Don't even need to eat. I'll just, those three things and I'll be good. College, as I said, you know, direction, you, maybe some of you guys need girlfriends or boyfriends. The list goes on. A job, doing good in school, kind of changes. Um, but I think this is something that we all, you know, we all understand because we can look back at all the funny needs we've had and be like, okay, some of those were silly. Maybe some of them were legit. But one thing that's really struck me lately is how much, like, what do we really need And I I looked at my life, and I'm like, okay, I got food, I got clothes, I got shelter, I got friends, I have family, I have water. What else is there that we really, really need? And I was thinking about it and thinking about how far above the bar we are in America and how often we forget that. And how often what happens is our mind translates into, I need these certain things in order to be happy. I need these certain things in order to have a fulfilling life or to feel like my life's complete or... I'm going to be sad until this thing comes around or whatever it is, you know, and, and I, I realized I've never missed a meal in my whole life. Maybe fasting, you know, that doesn't really count or like I was busy. And I didn't get to eat lunch, but like I've never not been able to go buy some food or to have some outlet to get something to eat. I have no idea what it means to be hungry. I have no idea what it means to be thirsty. I have no idea what it means to have no clothes and be cold. I have no idea what it means to have nowhere to sleep and being afraid that I'm going to get injured or I'm going to get sick because I'm living outside under a bridge or in the middle of a jungle. I have have no idea of any of these things. And what happens is I become needy and I think that all these little things, if I don't get it, my life's over. If I don't figure out what job I'm going to have right now, I'm going to be sad until I figure it out. If I don't have this thing come around in my life or I don't get this possession or whatever it is, everything's over. And what I've learned is that in myself, and this is a, a talk to myself more than anything, is that what we need, we already have. But we fail to realize it. Because we live in a world where it says, if you're poor, you're unhappy. If you don't have material possessions and material wealth and these different things, there's no way you can have a happy life. And what we realize is that God has already given us everything we need. And that's the person Jesus Christ. He's given him, and it's such a simple thing, it sounds like, right? Everything we need is in Jesus Christ. But it's so radical. It's such a radical concept to think about and to really live out. Because we don't. Because what happens is, is we're needy people before God. And I myself, I'm needy before God, but I'm in a totally wrong way. Instead of being needy for God to satisfy me... I'm needy for God to give me what I want. I look at my prayer life, and a lot of times it's like, I'm just praying that these things God will grant me. And there's nothing wrong with asking. I'm not saying there's something wrong with asking for things. God likes to give good gifts to those that he loves. But so often, I feel like I will never be happy or satisfied unless God gives me what I want. But God's already given me everything that I I need, which is Christ. So that's what I want to look at tonight, and I think... What happens is we either treat God one of two ways. One way is good, one way is bad. And I notice myself being, you know, kind of jumping back and forth, and you can probably relate. Either you treat God as this father that you just ask things for. You just ask him to give you things. And if you don't get what you want when you want it, you kind of complain and you get upset, and you will not be happy until he gives you this thing. So what happens is your relationship with your father is superficial and meaningless. It only, it only matters if he gives you what you want. And that's a lot of times the way that I treat God. And I feel like a lot of us probably do. Or you treat God as this father who rescued you. You acknowledge yourself. You, you think, I'm an orphan. I, I'm some kid on the street that had no home, had no family. And this guy came and picked me up, invited me into his home, gave me a family. And now every single time that my father gives me a, a gift, it's just that. It's a gift. Because I don't need it. I don't expect it. It's something that he gave to me. Because he's already given me everything I need. And that's what I realize is that that's how we are to treat God. That's how we are to view him. He has rescued us and given us the person of Jesus Christ that is the only thing we need. It's the only thing that satisfies us. But so often, we think of everything else that's going to satisfy us. And so tonight, we're going to look at that. And that's my prayer for myself and for all of us in here, is that God would open our eyes through um, the word that we're going to look at tonight to see that the only thing we really need is Jesus. He really is. And it's simple, but it's radical. And that hopefully we can all stop being, and myself included, this bratty little kid that just asks for things and, is never, and isn't happy until he gets what he wants. But we'll be satisfied because we have the person Jesus Christ that satisfies us. So we're going to look at Genesis 22, 1 through 14. If you have uh, your Bible's Bibles in the front pew, you can go ahead and turn there. If you brought them with you, that's cool. Genesis 22, 1 through 14. And this is um, the, where Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac. It's a, an incredible passage, it's one of my favorites. But kind of giving a background to this, before this, most of you probably know the story of Abraham, some may not. Um, what Abraham, Abraham was married to a lady named Sarah. And God came to Abraham and he promised him um, that he was going to make a covenant with him that his children and his descendants would be a great nation and that God would bless them. But the problem was, is that Abraham doesn't have a kid. Him Sarah's barren. She, doesn't, she hasn't produced a kid. And so they struggle, like, holding on to the faith, holding on to faith and acknowledging that God's going to do this. And, you know, things happen where Sarah sends a servant to Abraham and different things like that and it kind of gets sketchy and they struggle and they come back to God and say okay God we're going to trust you but God eventually blesses them with a son Isaac Abraham's 100 years old she's like 90 something so the whole time the reason it's so hard is they're so old they're like how in the world are we going to have a kid we're like grandma we're like grandparents like they're like barely able to walk and you know God's going to bring them a kid and so eventually God blesses them with Isaac And I think one cool thing to keep in mind as we go through this, it's going to be important, is the condition that Isaac is born out of. He's born in a very special condition. It wasn't just like a normal birth, like God came down and like, hey, you're going to give you a son? Like, okay, you get a son a year later. Like, they were old. They were barren. This doesn't happen. It was a a miracle that God provided a son to Sarah, which was Isaac. It was a, a miracle birth. And what we're going to see later is that it's parallel with another miraculous birth. I'm not going to give it away, but happened later on in the Bible. So, um, tonight we're going to look at that. And I want you also to, to realize, think about what Abraham is going through. He just got a kid. He just got Isaac, okay? And then, you know, they got the kid and everything's great. They've got everything they need. Right, And then God tells him to go sacrifice his son. To, to kill his own son. I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. I mean, I couldn't imagine. You know, God asked me to sacrifice a meal to fast, and I'm like crying about it. You know, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son that he's been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. And he, what he had to do is he had to surrender totally to God. He had to put, put away reason, and he had to surrender to God and have obedience of faith. And in Hebrews 11, 19, this 19, this is Abraham. This is his mentality. He says, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. He's talking about Isaac. He's saying that Abraham and his faith, when he's going forward, when he said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to obey you, even though this is the hardest thing I'm ever going to do. He said that Abraham had the mindset that even if he did kill his son, that God would raise him up. Because remember, Isaac's the promised son of the covenant. If he dies, the covenant's over. And and he realizes that God's not going to break it. So he's like, even if I have to do this, I know God will raise him up. I mean, that's extreme, extreme faith. He's going to give away everything he had, give away his son, and have that faith that God's going to provide. Because he realizes there's nothing that he could do. So we're going to go into Genesis 22, 1 through 14, I'll read it for you and just follow along and kind of really soak it in. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him so they, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mounts of the Lord, it shall be provided. So we see the story. God tells Abraham to take a son, his only son, and go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. You can imagine they're riding. They're riding a donkey and they're going there. Imagine what he's thinking the whole time. His son doesn't know yet, as you saw in the passage. He's taking his son to kill him, and he gets over there. They they leave the donkey behind. They put they he puts the wood on top of Isaac and tells Isaac to carry it up the hill. And he's and his son's like, what, you know, where's the, where's the lamb at? And he's like, don't worry, God will provide. And he gets up there, and then God eventually intervenes. And he provides for him a ram in order to offer it instead of Isaac. And what we see here is incredible faith, one, but incredible faith that God will provide. And I think the the coolest thing about this passage, the thing that is is so awesome about God is that he puts the only thing we need in every piece of scripture across the whole entire Bible, which is Jesus Christ. He is everywhere. He's not just in the Gospels. He's in every single verse in every book because he's the center. It's, it's all about him. He's everything and anything that we need is Jesus Christ. I mean, look back here. Isaac is a foreshadow of what Christ will do. He, they, they ride to this place on a donkey, okay? They get off, and then Abraham puts the wood that he's going to be sacrificed on on top of Isaac, and Isaac has to carry it up the hill. Okay? The mountain that they're on is Mount Moriah, which is where Solomon's temple is, which is where Jerusalem eventually is, which is where Christ is eventually sacrificed. Same exact place. They get up top, he lays them on the altar, is the same way that a lamb would be slain on an altar. And then God intervenes and he says, and he provides the sacrifice, because God is the only one that can provide the sacrifice for us. And what does he provide? He provides a ram that's stuck in a thicket, in a thorn bush, by his head. I mean, it's incredible. This is, a, this is a foreshadow of what Christ will eventually do. And at the very end is the most incredible part about it all. When Abraham says, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. On this mountain, which eventually, hundreds of years later, Christ on this mountain is sacrificed for you and for me. That is the provision. That is what we need. It's nothing else. There's, there's no other thing that God's going to give us that's going to make us happy or bring more joy. It's all about Christ. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, it's all about him. There's a verse in Romans, 8, Romans 4, 7 through 8 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed meaning satisfied. Satisfied is the one whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Not satisfied is the one that gets this or gets that or has this position or this job or this status or this much money. It's satisfied is the one whose sins are forgiven. Because it's all about Christ. He is the one that fulfills. He's the one that brings joy. In Luke 2, 10 it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of, of a great joy that will be for all the people. A joy for the people. John 10 10B, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Christ has come that we may have life and have it to the full. Philippians 1:21, Paul writes, To live is Christ and to die is gain. And I was thinking about that, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't say to live is, insert whatever we put in, to live is marriage, to live is my job, to live is clarity for my life, to live is going out and having a good time, to live is my friends, to live is power, to live is success, to live is money. It, it doesn't say that. It's, Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I think that's so often I don't, I mean, most often I don't live that way. I live as if if I don't get these things that I need, you know, my life isn't really isn't good. And I'm not happy. And what happens is, is that when we when we think this way, we're telling God that we don't need Christ to be satisfied. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Thanks, God, that you, you know, you sent your son, your only son, and you, and you killed him for us. And he rose from the dead and he gives us new life that we may have a relationship with you and be fully satisfied in, in you and you alone. But yet I still need these other things. So we're looking at God in the face and saying, God, I know to live is Christ. And I know you put it in every page of scripture. And I know, you know, that's what I'm supposed to believe. But I'm really believing that to live is this. Insert whatever you live for. Or whatever you think is going to make you happy. It's not to live is Christ. And so my hope is, is that for myself and for all of us here, is that this such a simple concept that Christ is everything we need will really soak in and really implant in our hearts. Because it's something that will really change the way you live, the way you view God, the way you treat him. You treat him more like you're the orphan that was rescued. That every time God gives you something, a gift and a blessing, you're thankful for it. And you don't think that it's going to make you more happy or, or more satisfied because you already have everything you need in Christ. And ultimately, for us to be able to say with the prophet Habakkuk, in Habakkuk three seventeen through 19, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Now we don't need to search anymore for something that's going to make us happy, for something that we need to fulfill us. We don't have to try to find something or to discern what we're missing out on because God's already provided everything we need on the mountain of the Lord. Mount Moriah, when Jesus Christ was sacrificed, it's all about Him. He is the one, and our relationship with Him is the thing that satisfies us. So we're going to pray. But I wanted to—I uh, have this book. It's called *The Valley of the Vision*. Valley of Vision. It's an incredible book. It's like Puritan prayers. I wanted to read one of them because what they say is incredible, and it's probably better than anything I could say. So I'm going to pray, and would you guys pray with me and just listen to these words and, and kind of soak it up, because I think it says exactly what you know, we're to hear tonight about Christ being everything we need. O oh God, thou hast taught me that Christ has all fullness, and so all plenitude of the Spirit, that all fullness I lack in myself is in him. For his people, not for himself alone, he having perfect knowledge, grace, righteousness, to make me see, to make me righteous, to give me fullness. That it is my duty, out of a sense of emptiness, to go to Christ, possess, enjoy his fullness as mine, as if I had it in myself, because it is for me and him. That when I do this, I am full of the Spirit, as a fish that that has got from the shore to the sea and has all fullness of waters to move in. For when faith fills me, then I am full. That it is, that this is the way to be filled with the Spirit, like Stephen, first faith in fullness. For this way makes me most empty, and, and so most fit for the Spirit to fill. Thou hast taught me that the findings of this treasure of all grace in the field of Christ beget strength, joy, glory, and renders all graces alive. Help me to delight more in what I receive from Christ, more in that fullness which is in Him, the fountain of all His glory. Let me not think to receive the Spirit from Him as a thing, apart from finding, drinking, being filled with Him. To this end, O God, do establish me in Christ. Settle me, give me a being there. Assure me with certainty that all this is mine, for this only will fill my heart with joy and peace.